This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, Portland Real Estate Podcast listeners, welcome to episode number 15. I'm your host, Tucker Merrihew. I'm here with my co-host in our virtual studio, Steve Nassar. What is happening, Steve-o? Tucker, good to be back on the show. Oh, yeah. We've got another great episode this week. We've got another guest. So we got back-to-back weeks with guests. Last week, you went out and got us a great guest, Ian. He kind of walked us through what to expect buying at auction, how to find deals at auction to basically flip. And this week, I figured I'd bring on you know one of my contacts, and we can talk a little bit more uh, about this as we get into the interview, but I wanted to talk about what it's like to actually flip houses here in the Portland area. And so uh, I think it'll be a really cool show. Yeah, I agree. It's a topic that a lot of people are interested in. There's a lot of television shows that focus on the excitement of flipping homes. I think as markets heat up, you know, it's something that even the most average layman, if you will, kind of relates to. It's kind of that American dream. I think you've uh, related it to that. So I think it's something that you know, even the most hardcore real estate investor can relate to. And, and even people that, that maybe will never flip a house still kind of get intrigued by it and think it w- would be something fun to do. Yeah, I totally agree. But before we dive into our interview here this week, what's what's going on with you and your biz? Yeah, so it's been a great week. We've got quite a bit going on. We're actually heating up pretty good. We're bringing on quite a few new listings, everything from single family homes. I've got a couple multifamilies. I'm actually working with one investor who's looking to offload three different multifamilies. I had one interesting story that I'll share. This more specific. Last Friday, I got a text message. It's probably one of the better real estate text messages I've ever got. <laughs> he was referred to me by a past client He's actually the GM of a very well-known, nice hotel downtown. And I got a text message from him. He said, hey, we are in a 1031 exchange. We're closing on a $1.8 million apartment that is set to close November 6th. You came highly recommended to me. We want to turn around and buy three properties here in the local area. So we've been working very, very aggressively with this person. We've got two offers out right now. One just got accepted today. One just got DocuSign and will be going out here pretty quick and presented. We're working on looking at a few other places. So, I mean, in a matter of a week, we added about what should end up being about $1.8 million into our November, which is always nice with a cash transaction like that. On the brokerage side, we're doing really, really well. We're hiring a lot of new brokers, bringing them on. We're really excited. One of the things that we've been working on that I kind of spearhead here at PPG is kind of falls under my umbrella. We have a lead gen department, and it's kind of an interesting concept. It's where the company goes out, and I oversee this, and we get leads. And a lot of them come from Zillow. We've got a few other sources. We use Boomtown as the CRM internally to manage and handle the, the leads and get them out to the various agents. But in a nutshell, basically any one of our brokers within our company this has been a huge hit amongst the brokers, can basically plug into the system. They will be given leads. We have an inside sales staff of about four different people who basically, when the lead comes in, they vet the lead. 
They talk to them. They understand their objectives. They kind of do a basic sniff test to make sure they're able, willing, and qualified. And then ultimately, when they determine that, they hand them over to the appropriate broker within the company that's in the Legion program. And appropriate would be, you know, matching them with somebody that's at the skill level and the location of what they're looking to do. That person through Boomtown, the lead is transferred to them. The search is set up. They oftentimes will have a property in mind that they already want to see. And then that person runs with it. It's been a hugely successful program. We had a record month last month in closings. We've got a lot of brokers that plug into it. What's kind of cool about it too is it's a way for brokers. You know, a lot of brokers are busy on their own and and they don't need it. And that's wonderful. We're thrilled for them. But then sometimes, you know, they take a vacation or some things happen. Their business slows down. They can plug into the program. They can kind of revive their business, get some momentum going, get back in the trenches, moving and shaking. And then they can unplug from the program again and they can start to get referrals off those leads that they've been working with. So something we're really excited about. It's been working great for the company and we're I'm happy to be overseeing it and and doing really cool things with it. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's kind of like, you know, when you're in real estate sales and also when you're in house flipping, I mean, same thing, right? Your pipeline is is really your your success. And so if you don't have momentum, some days it's it's a little tough, right? And if you've got something like that to plug into to kind of get your momentum back, get you in the trenches, get you working with clients, get some sales going, it's amazing how that impacts your business, whether you're, you know, selling real estate, selling mortgages or flipping houses. It's it's the same thing. And that that's really Oh, cool. absolutely, Tucker. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, worst thing a person can do, if suddenly your phone's quiet, the worst thing you can do is go play golf, go, you know, do things that aren't real estate related. Suddenly you lose some of your sharpness. You're not thinking real estate. And when that good lead does come across you, you're a little rusty. You're not in your game. You're not on top of things and things don't go well. So it's very advantageous to have something like that, that you can turn on when necessary so that you can keep yourself in the game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's really cool. It's cool to hear you guys growing. And I think that's definitely a draw for an agent. That's for sure. So, well, cool, man. Sounds like things are plugging and chugging. Things have picked up since last week when we thought it had slowed a little bit, but you know, in a good way, because you've got buyer clients and of course market's a little slower. There's a little less buyer activity when you got $1.8 million to put to work. It's a lot easier to get offers accepted when there's not 85 offers on everything. And the buyers are happy. The buyers are happy. I stand by that. That has not changed. We're very happy to be working with buyers and and we're in a much better position than we would have been four or five months ago. Yeah. Sounds like it. Well, cool. Yeah. Things are popping over here too. We, I guess most notably, I actually had an appraiser contact me today for one of our development deals that we're buying. I'm actually getting some bank financing on it because it's a pretty sizable deal. And the appraiser reached out to me this morning. He was like, Hey, I've got some questions on this property you're buying. You know, we're buying it for, you know, a fair bit of money, but he was having a hard time appraising it for about 500 grand more than we're in contract for. He couldn't get it to appraise for less than that. And so he was like, what's going on here? And is there an RMLS listing or whatever? And he just couldn't understand that that we could actually source and find property and buy it for less than what the market would appraise it for. And so it was a concept I had to kind of introduce to him. And being that he's an appraiser, it was kind of frightening to me that I had to introduce this concept to him. But he finally understood it after a long phone call. But it's nice to hear that the uh, even an appraiser valued this uh, particular piece of property at about where I would have valued it anyway. So sometimes you never know. Appraisers like to when they get an appraisal, right, they usually miraculously the appraisal comes in at the purchase price. Right. And <laughs> and this one was coming in at about 500K over the purchase price. So it's, it's uh, yeah. I always joke that they like to do as little as little work as possible to get that exact figure. 
and I never complain when they do, I, because when you do complain about them coming in exactly at the sales price, you're, you're taking for granted that they can come underneath it and the problems that go along with that. Yeah, it's good to just keep your mouth shut sometimes with that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this guy was having a hard time getting that price even down close to what we were paying for. it. Usually the problem is getting it up to what people are paying for it, but he couldn't get it down. So anyway, I talked to him. We worked it out. Uh, the bank was happy to get that email as well that's securing some financing for me against it. So that's always a good a good problem to have. So you do use bank financing. Yeah, we have been lately. I've I've established a, a, a lending relationship with uh, Premier Community Bank, and they've got you know seven figures out to us in credit at this point, and we've been continuing to build on that relationship. But it's it's definitely a help when it comes to you know getting loans for one-off projects here and there or a development project, something of that nature. But it's it's kind of new for us. We've raised a lot of private money in the past, and we still use a lot of private money, but. I'm venturing into the world of bank money now as well for some of these higher dollar projects that we're getting into because it's a lot cheaper to then hold those properties and, and pay the holding costs during our construction period. Do those require something like a 30, 45 day close? Yeah, a, about a 30 day close. In this particular case, we had a long enough close out that I could set it in motion and it wouldn't affect our closing date. But they'll also do, you know, basically uh, refinances for us, cash out refinances on the lot acquisition. So we'll probably go and pay cash. We might get our lot money back by putting, you know, bank money against it or something like that if we need to close quicker. So it just gives us an, an additional funding source and it, it ultimately just allows the company to operate a little leaner and uh, not eat up so much of our profits. In, in uh, It's great to hear that the banks are lending on the specs. Um, yeah. I know that stopped for quite some time and, and it even took longer than you would expect to come back. I mean, that's that hasn't been back for too long, has it? No, not really. I mean, I've gotten a lot of no's over the years, you know, up to this point and uh, well, up to about January of this year. And, and it seems like now uh, I did barter with the bank a little bit. I said, look, you can have our company deposit accounts if you look at lending us money. And I guess those deposit accounts were big enough that they decided that they might lend us money. But so that's a good thing. But yeah, I got a lot of no's over the years, Steve, coming up to this point because a lot of banks were really gun shy on lending on spec stuff. I mean, really gun shy. And then, you know, gradually as, as this bank got to know our business model and understands what we're good at, which is finding great deals. And, and then obviously, you know, giving me a, a financial, um, you know, <laughs> sticking it up my, you know what, make sure that everything looks good. They were, they were plenty comfortable to lend and, and we've been starting to build off that. So I'm, I'm excited. It's a great thing. For sure. And it'll be a great tool for us moving forward to continue to get into some bigger development plays like we've been doing. But other than that, we got a house that's uh, in Lake Oswego that we're, we're starting to frame this week. We've got a, a rehab project that we're through the inspection period, which is great. Those are always, you know, you never know which way those are going to go. This one's in a little lower price point. So it's, you know, uh, first time buyer price point, which we're not normally in these days. And I'm sure Bruce can attest to this when we bring him in. But when you sell houses in the first time buyer price point, you just never know what people are going to ask for sometimes. Sometimes it's crazy, sometimes it's warranted, and sometimes it's just flat out nuts. And it also depends on their agent and how educated their agent is as to what really is an issue and what isn't. So that's always fun. But we're through that, and things are things are going good, man. So I'm I'm really excited with uh, where we're going to end the year, and sounds like uh, you know, you're doing the same. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Well, hey, I won't leave our guest hanging any longer. I I'm excited to introduce him here. Uh, we've got our guest here, Bruce. And Bruce is from Portland Property Innovations. And our PDX, we'll PDX, PDX property. Yeah. yeah, we'll call it the abbreviated PDX Property Innovations. And Bruce has been renovating houses for a long time. We've actually partnered on a number of deals in the past. It seemed like whenever we partnered, they didn't work out quite as well as we <laughs> hoped. So we decided to maintain our friendship and our business uh, relationship and just kind of do our own projects. But it's worked out well for both of us that way. And Bruce has got a lot of experience 
renovating homes, flipping homes, I guess what we would say. So I thought I'd bring him on and we'd kind of pull back the curtain on what it's like to actually flip homes here in the Portland area and kind of talk about it a little bit. So Bruce, why don't you, you know, give us a little background on your company, what you do, and then uh, we'll dive into some questions. Okay. Hey, thanks for having me on guys. I started, oh, I think the first flip I was involved with was in 09, right in the middle of the worst of the times. And it was a good time to really learn how to do it because, you know, you had maybe one buyer a month that could actually qualify for the house that you were doing. You know, a lot of people were doing starter homes then. And there was a lot of, you know, just a lot to pick from too. So it was good. I mean, as far as just like learning how to do it correctly, where you can actually make money, you know, the first couple of years of doing it was really hard. You kind of have to work your way up and different partnerships and different money situations, but I'm glad I stuck with it because it's turned into a good business for me for sure. How many people do you have in your operation, Bruce? Well, I have a construction company, so I have a crew of dudes. I usually range between three or four people that work for me full time. And so we'll do a lot of the work in-house and it's kind of like a, I think of it kind of as a three-legged stool where you have to have the deal, the money, and the know-how. So uh, as far as the people in my team, I, I have a couple different people I buy from. Throughout the years, it's been 90% of what I get is from Tucker, but you know, I have a couple other people that I get things from too. I'm starting to uh, make some different relationships because sometimes, as you know, there's a ton of competition out there, tons of buyers, tons of people looking for deals. And uh, it's good to have, you know, a few people that you can that you can get deals from. And then as far as the money side, I have a lot of private money I get, you know, after you've done it for a while, you have a lot better opportunity, better pricing on and just more advantageous situations in that regard. And then, of course, all my subcontractors and stuff. You get people to believe in you <laughs> and actually totally. yeah. you money, right? I mean, that's what you're getting at because yeah. you've got to have a track record and you've been in it long enough to be able to prove to people, look, I can take this rough product. I can get it to the finished product. I can sell it. I can get you your money back, get you your interest, and then I can make my profit at the same time. And that's really the risk that private money lenders look at. And to have a resume like you have, it makes it a lot easier to go out and raise that money. Yeah. And to just show them that it's not risky, like it's sort of made out to be. I mean, buying a house in Portland that's that needs some work is it's probably the best investment you can make as far as putting your money into anything right now, I think, compared to playing the stock market or some other crazy scheme that somebody's coming up with. Buying a house that you're in first position for lending towards and getting a killer return on your money is I think it's a no brainer really. What's your favorite part of the job? You know, it's always a challenge. I like it though. I enjoy taking a dump and making it beautiful again. It's cool. Mm -hmm. And just the before and afters are really cool. I never took wood shop and, you know, in high school, I never did any kind of apprenticeship or anything like that. It's something I fell into and I really love. But yeah, I'd say probably the taking something that was a dump and making it beautiful. I think that's probably the most rewarding thing of it and the finished product of when you're done and you have someone that's happy with your house that you did for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I've flipped a few houses here and there with a great contractor that I've partnered with in the process. You know, an opportunity presents itself and you take it and you move on it. It's definitely not what I focus on, but I did see that as a rewarding part of that. I mean, we started out with this junky, junky house in Northeast Portland. And when it was all said and done, you had this little gym there and, and, and you just felt like, you know, I just improved our city, mm -hmm. you know, one little lot at a time. And, and that is a cool component of that. Yeah. And the other thing too, is just like, yeah, if you get a good deal, that's just a mess. Yeah. It's two things. 
improving the house, making it beautiful, and then making a good return on it. That's just, you know, everybody's happy. Everybody gets paid. Everybody gets their return. It's just, it's a rewarding job if it goes right, if you do it the right way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're taking a product that, you know, is an eyesore in a neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting rid of the eyesore. You're making it one of the nicer houses on the street. You're making money in the interim. Mm -hmm. The lenders are making money in the interim. The contractors yep. that you're hiring out, subcontractors are making money. The real estate agents then are allowed to make a little money. Yep. The end buyer gets a fantastic home that they're now paying market value for, but they've got a great house that's been totally updated. So they're buying a house at market value that's totally updated where instead of buying a house that's you know needs updates at yeah. market value because you can buy the same house for the same price. And then the neighborhood gets a better home that brings up everybody's value and hopefully brings up the quality of person living there as well. And ultimately, you know, everybody benefits. And that that's the thing that I think is most important to point out here with house flipping. Totally. Yeah, it's gotten, I don't know, sometimes things get a bad reputation. I think that, you know, oh, it's a flip or whatever. Some people have different negative uh, images of it. But yeah, I mean, as far as what I do, I mean, yeah, I'm taking something and I'm, I'm making it a lot better. And compared to what else is out there on the market. It's totally updated. You know, most of the time we rewire, replumb. You know, it's getting new furnace, it's getting new roof. It's it's all in great shape when we're done with it, and it's ready to go for the next fifty years. And that's the other thing is, I know when I put a house on the market, it's going to be one of the best houses around. Bruce, do you focus more on like major renovations where there's a lot of creativity and moving walls and that sort of job, or do you do more lipstick? You know, surfaces, floors, paint countertops or do you do a healthy combination of both i do yeah i do both for sure i kind of just take the philosophy of doing the best thing for the house as far as what price point you get it for and whatever will make the most money and look the best and you get some that are like wow this thing is a dump and you have to t do a ton of work on it but if you get those types of deals cheap enough and even if it, you're doing foundation work and you're doing lifting the house i've done i've done all ranges of it the big huge projects you just have to get cheap and you have to have cheap money you can't you can't get into something and then change your mind halfway through and say oh i'm going to totally change everything up it's you got to have a plan of action when you're buying that thing or it'll kill you but the nice little you know surfaces and paint and things like that those are great too if you get it where you can turn them in four or five weeks and get them right back on the market yeah there was one i think that you did a while back that i actually i think we sold you or i sold you was uh you had to redo the the entire foundation because the house mm -hmm. was sinking and I mean, that's a massive undertaking and, and you guys did a lot of that in-house, which is crazy. But I guess that just kind of illustrates the full spectrum of what it is that you'll take on. I mean, taking a house, jacking it up, replacing the entire foundation. I mean, it's essentially sitting on stilts for a few days while you put in new forms and pour the new foundation before you reattach the house and everything. I mean, that's that's a big project. But again, it came with a bigger return. You're not yeah. doing you know, big projects like that, hoping for a lipstick type return because they're two, they're two entirely different beasts. Yeah. And on those big ones, yeah, you just have to be prepared to have the thing for six months and be able to stomach that, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of commitment, but yeah, if you get it cheap enough and you know what you're doing, then you'll do fine. And those are pretty enjoyable because those are some that are just like so far gone and so messed up that it's great. But, you know, and then sometimes you tear those down and, and do a new build on it. But I've just started getting into some of that, but I typically fix everything I can. What areas of town do you focus in or do you do the entire metro area across the board? I usually don't go past 82nd, but, you know, I think I have a couple times. I'll do Clackamas, Milwaukee, Beaverton. I've done a few in Hillsboro, uh, Southwest. I've done a few in Vancouver. 
I like to stay close in. That's usually what I'm most comfortable with. But I've done a fair amount of little ranches out in Beaverton, Aloha area. But my main thing is inner southeast and inner northeast. I just like to stay in the Portland area, but I am getting more and more uh, happy with having stuff that's close by. Now, here's a question for you. And usually I'm the a-hole on the show that's talking about all the Portland crazies that cause me a lot of heartache <laughs> and, uh, in my construction business. But what what are some of the more challenging parts about this business right now when it pertains to you know, dealing with neighbors, dealing with people that maybe aren't so into Portland's changing of the guard, so to speak, the renovation projects, the new construction projects that are going on, the infill stuff. There was an article yesterday of a nincompoop that decided to pepper spray the entire demo crew that had nothing to really do with uh, a house being torn down other than the fact that they were the hired subcontractor to do it. And, you know, it just seems like some of this stuff is getting out of hand. And I know that we've had some pretty heated conversations. I've had a couple of death threats over the years from crazy neighbors. Uh, one I still have framed in the background here at the office, just as a reminder of all the wonderful people that we meet in this business. But, you know, what are some of the challenges you've faced in regards to that? Or is there much of that out there right now for you? Yeah, that is one of the stressful parts of the job for sure. I always try and meet the neighbors and at least give them my card and be nice day one or as soon as I can. Because if you have if you have a troubled neighbor or somewhere in the neighborhood even, it doesn't even have to be right next to them. If you have somebody that's pissed off or that doesn't like what you're doing, they can make your life freaking miserable. And I got to say, I've had pretty good luck just by being kind and and talking to people that goes a long way but every now and then you do get some that are just pissed off at you they don't like that you're making noise they don't like that you know you're flipping the house and you're making money or i don't know there must be some sort of like twisted up uh weird idea of affordable housing and whatever i have no idea where people are coming from sometimes but and I think people just assume that if you're doing it, that you're some rich guy making a ton of money on it. And, you know, I'm very blue collar and it's not that case. But, man, I've had people just be terrible just over anything, you know, anything they can do to make it worse for you and make it hard on you. But I don't know. It's there's certain sites in certain areas of town, especially where you just have to be extra careful on everything you know, whether it's the lead paint stuff or the asbestos stuff or whatever, you just have to totally be careful because, you know, the whole neighborhood comes out sometimes and watches everything that you do. And it's not like you're trying to cut corners or anything like that or do anything wrong, but just, you know, you just have to like be super careful because people are, are watching everything you do and they kind of have an idea of what it should look like. Have you ever paid a neighbor to clean up their yard? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I usually do. I clean it up for them. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anybody that I do that, though, because then I'll have a bunch of people calling to have me come clean their yard out. But, or, you know, we'll paint the sides of a shed that butts up to something. But I can't think of anything specific where I've had to yeah. do a ton of stuff. But, yeah. That I, one in northeast Portland, we did that. Um, oh, we were wow. just wrapping up the job. And, man, we, in the backyard, we kept looking at the neighbor's yard, kept looking at the neighbor's yard. And finally, I was like, I'll go knock on his door and just talk to him, see if they'll let us come over, clean it up, and, you know, see how we can make it right. And I went over and I had a conversation with him. I said, we're trying to sell this house. We'd love to help you in any way we can with your yard. And it worked out really well. So no, it's that's an interesting good. idea when those situations arise. Yeah, yeah. And it just, <laughs> I've I've been pretty fortunate. But yeah, every once in a while you get one like that where 
it's just terrible and you can't a fence won't hide it <laughs> it's yeah. like it's above six feet of crap <laughs> that's definitely something to think about and i've actually done the same thing before bruce i've actually i brought a trailer in and i hauled a, just a ton of crap out i even hauled a car that was on blocks away for a woman <laughs> next door and she was a little volatile to say the least so she liked to drop the f-bomb a lot so i was hoping that she stayed inside whenever a realtor showed house but uh, i definitely <laughs> made her front yard look a lot better so you know, the reality is when we're in the house flipping business, you know, houses are just a small piece of it. We're really in the people business in a lot of ways because you've got people both in terms of those that work for you, but also neighbor. I mean, you're on constantly, you know, on community outreach, right? I mean, you're trying to do right by the neighborhood. You're trying to, you know, make sure that there isn't any issues with people. So it's it's really partly about real estate, but it's a lot about just interacting with people. At least it has been for me. Yeah, totally. And and most of the time, most of the time in my case, you're taking the ugliest house on the block that the person that lived there before, most people were at least mildly irritated with the level of crap in the yard, you know, how run down the place looked. You know, there's many, many times where I'll be working on it and the neighbors will come over and tell me stories about who used to live there. And the stupid stuff they used to do there and all the garbage they'd have in the front yard or the blue tarp, the forever blue tarp on the roof that they'd replace every two years and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, if you take care of people who do your best on it, I mean, usually it works out, but everyone, every now and then, Tucker's had a lot worse stuff than I've had to deal with. But And that's no indication yeah. of how I run my business. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a, a larger volume, so I run into more people. Than right, exactly, exactly. No, it's it's just depends on the level of project you do too. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're doing rehabs and you're doing old messed up houses and you're fixing them, that usually tends to be a little less neighborific than the other stuff. Yeah, Bruce, do you typically stage the houses when you're done? I don't. I've done it once or twice, but I usually don't need to. That's uh, something that people totally believe in or don't believe in. You know, yeah, I don't. I usually get it really clean and nice and get it on the market. I've sold a bunch this year before they even went on market. So I haven't really done that a ton. What it, What is your thoughts on it? I love staging. I know Tucker. Tucker's, I think he's more in your camp. I think he does some light staging, but I'm a believer in staging. And I, I know Tucker and I have talked about this in the past off the air and it's not to say that you can't sell it without staging per se, because clearly you are, but I just believe you will sell it faster and for more and with more offers or your chances of that are better when you put furniture in the house that A, shows the rooms and what they look like and how they would best be used. But B, it's actually, it's kind of a little deceiving in the sense that it's furniture that will never probably legitimately be in that house. In other words, it's it might be furniture that should be in a million dollar house in a $300,000, $400,000 house. Mm. So people come in and they don't quite fully understand that they're never going to have it look as good. This is the best it gets. Right. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's a nice just layer of wrapping, in my opinion, on an otherwise great job. And I seldom see a project where the return isn't astronomical on that money. But I get that, that you guys feel you know, otherwise. I think and it depends, Steve. I, I mean, I'm an advocate for it. I'm not, I'm not against it by any means. I think that staging can do a lot of good, especially for houses that have a little bit of functional obsolescence that yeah. maybe need a little help with people determining what to do with the space. But I also think it's, it's fairly market specific. You know, the last six, 10, 12 months, the market's been in fuego. I mean, it's been crazy. And so 
you know, for me personally, I come up with a number that we want for the property. We hit that number. I'm super happy. If we can hit that number without putting it on the market, and a lot of times we have lately, and Bruce has been the same way, then there's no reason to stage. I think as the market begins to slow down a little bit and you have a little bit of time on market, uh, I think, yeah, it's definitely advantageous to put staging in there. I think the returns are going to be there, and I think that it makes the project look better. So I, I'm definitely not against it, but I'd say I'm more for it as the market tends to slow a little bit personally. Yeah, I agree too. I agree. Yeah, the other cool thing about staging that I, and this is the last thing I'll say, I'll say about it, is it takes, in my opinion, what would otherwise be a logical purchase and makes it a more emotional purchase. In other words, buyer walks in a house, and I've seen this before, they walk into a vacant house, and they're kind of like, okay, how many square feet is this? What did the house across the street go for? How many so how many dollars per square foot was that? To me, that's a logical transaction. And, and that's where sellers don't do as well. Where they do really, really well is when a buyer walks in a house, they sit down. I mean, they obviously, they, they take in the house. They look around. It's just so warm. It's so inviting. They don't want to leave there. They sit down. And it is a fact that Buyers will stay much longer in a staged house than they will in a vacant house for the sheer fact that there's nothing to do with the vacant house on them and stand around. And then in an emotional transaction, they look at their realtor and they're like, I want this house. How do I get this house? Help me get this house. That's an emotional transaction versus a logical one. So that's my last thought. Yeah, thought on I, I agree with you, Steve. I think that you make great points there. And, you know, that's why you're a great realtor. So, you know. For sure. Yep. So I got I got one last question for you, Bruce. You know, as we head into the winter months here, we head into 2016. 2015 has been great for house flipping. Uh, there's no question. Everybody that's been in it, that's been able to get their hands on on inventory has done really well. What do you see 2016 bringing for the world of house flipping? That's a really good question. You know, I'm going to keep my eye on inventory and I'm going to keep my eye on what's selling and what's sitting. You know, I went through the crash and it put an indelible mark on me, <laughs> on my uh, on my psyche. And uh, I, I think that 16 is going to be a good year. And that's just not me saying rah, rah, go team. It's I just think it is. I think there's... This market is still great. One of the things that I think really is an indicator of that is, for me, is rent prices. And if someone can still buy a house for about what you can rent it for, it's still a no-brainer to buy if you qualify. And every uh, house that I've done in the last year or so, the buyers have gotten better and better and better. People have a ton of money down. People are well-qualified. It's just not what you saw Back in the day when people were, you know, putting a dollar down on it and hoping for the best, it's, you know, we still have strong buyers. We've got low inventory. I just, I don't see that changing anytime soon unless some horrible disaster happens, which, you know. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think that it, I think it'll cool over the course of this winter a little bit. And then I think we'll probably come out uh, pretty strong in the uh, February, March, April of next year. And I think that, uh, you know, inventory can only rise so much, right? It's kind of a catch 22. You've got sellers that in order to sell, they have to find a place to buy. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a domino transaction for them to find a place that's suitable enough for them to buy that makes worth going through the hassle of selling worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it takes time. So it's not like that inventory number can go from uh, the 1.9 months that it was at last time up to six months overnight. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's time. 
And so I think that, you know, that that's the one thing I like about real estate is it's a little bit of a slow moving ship. And for those of us that are down in the trenches, we can kind of see the indicators starting to happen before the headlines hit and we can start to adjust our strategies accordingly. But I, I agree. Too. I think 2016 is going to be another really good year for real estate. We just put one on the market, a partnership deal I had with another guy out in Beaverton in the Cedar Hills area. And, you know, I was curious to see what it would do. But one of the big things was there's only one or two houses for sale in the whole neighborhood. So it went on and went pending in three days above asking. And so, yeah, I mean, every time you do one, you kind of have to just reevaluate and see if you're going to push the price or whether you're going to kind of be conservative on it. And I think we can all agree that when the market is too hot, that in of its own way starts to become problematic. Mm -hmm. I know on the realtor side, when the market gets too hot, then all of a sudden, all the for sale by owners come out of the woodwork, right? Suddenly, <laughs> yeah. the realtor's yeah. not needed. We can throw this on Zillow. We can throw it on Craigslist. We can do it ourselves. Also, along those lines, everybody wants to become realtors, right? I mean, yeah. you go to Starbucks and your barista tells you, informs you that they're about to take their test. I mean, it's just everywhere around you. And I would venture that carries over to the home flipping side of things. I mean, I remember in 2005, 2006, and these were telltale signs that things were getting too hot. When clients, I would help them buy an owner-occupied house. I was a mortgage lender at the time. They would call me up. They'd buy an owner-occupied house. He works, you know, some desk job. She's a teacher, whatever. This is a hypothetical. And then six months later, they call me and they want to flip a house. I mean, yeah. and they've never flipped a house before. Mm -hmm. We're seeing little elements of that, but I mean, the market cooling down would not be a bad thing because it would squelch some of that stuff and squelch some of the for sale by owners and barista doors or baristas <laughs> that are getting their real estate license. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of those little hiccups in the market kind of buck people off. They're kind of the one and dones, you know, I like to call it. They hit those little hiccups and they dip their toe in and they're like, you know what? You know, I like my teaching job or I like making Steve eggnog lattes, you know, well, I'll just stick with that for now. But, you know, I think it's good for the market. I think if it takes a pause over the winter here, at least slows down. You know, it has been hot. It's been hot all year. And uh, I think it's healthy to take a little bit of a slowdown. And, and I think it has a little bit, but I think in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said there. It's true. And, you know, I uh, I think that a lot of people learned a lot of tough lessons during those times when it was just like out of control People were buying up five houses and just sitting on them, hoping they'd appreciate, you know, like it's it's just a totally different environment. But, yeah, it, when it's too hot, it is. It's crazy. It, and there there were times this year where it felt that way a little bit where so much competition to get anything. And then you just never know what you're going to get for it if you, and what offer to take. Who's the who's the clown that is just sort of like throwing 10 offers out? And, yeah, it's tough. That frenetic pace that it gets sometimes I think isn't good <laughs> for sure. And when that competition doesn't know what they're doing, that's yeah. scary in of itself. Yeah. Because the guy that's bidding for you for that house, if it's his first flip and he doesn't know what he's doing, mm -hmm. he can he can throw numbers out there that are crazy and you just have to walk away. And that happens on our side of things when new realtors go to a listing appointment and go, yeah, I can sell this for a hundred grand more than anyone. And Oh man, and, that, um, that happened today, Steve. I mean, there was a guy that we had call in the Foster Powell neighborhood. It's a double lot. Bruce, you know Foster Powell yep. very well. You got a project in there. Double lot. He wanted five hundred grand for his double lot. Lots are, <laughs> single lots are selling for one hundred fifty grand or less in, in Foster Powell. But he all of a sudden thought they were worth two fifty a pop. So Close you know, it, you the reason why is because he talked to a realtor who told him that he should be able to get five hundred for it. And so you know, it happens. I'm not just throwing realtors under the bus, but 
you know, uh, house flippers do that too all the time and it drives prices up and it drives me bananas because we'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I've got an offer for 300,000 and you guys only offered me 210. And it's like, well, who offered it to you? And if they tell us and it's, you know, somebody we've never heard of, well, of course we know why they offered you 300,000 because they have no idea what they're looking at and they're probably going to bail on your contract here in about 28 days. But you'll find that out and you'll call us back and, you know, whatever. But it happens on all sides of the business. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So the moral of the story is markets that get too overheated have their own inherent problems that in of their own way have to be dealt with. So a cool off is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, hey, Bruce, I appreciate you uh, jumping on here. I think we had a good discussion, kind of peeled back the curtain a little bit on what it's like to actually flip houses out there in the Portland area right now. Obviously, this year has been good to you. I'm, I'm glad to see that. And uh, next year will be really good to you, too. But thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. For sure. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. This has been episode 15 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Tucker, with our co-host here, Steve. We're signing off till next week. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.